Hi, this is John Byrne with Poets of Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast covering all things related to business school and the MBA from admissions to jobs. So joining me today, as always, are my terrific co-hosts, Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline Diarty Edwards, the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at NCOT. The big news this past week is very big indeed. Harvard Business School announced that it would enroll a full class of only 720 students. Now, that is a roughly 23% below the more typical 930 to 940 cohort that enters Harvard Business School each year. The reason is directly related to the school's very flexible policy on deferments. As those of you who have been following the news may know, back in April, Harvard announced that it would give a deferral to every student who requested one. That is every admitted student, of course. The big surprise was that that many people took Harvard up on it and that their class is going to be significantly smaller. I don't know how far back you have to go back to actually see when Harvard enrolled a smaller class of 720 students. Maria, what do you make of this? You're the Harvard MBA in the group. Mm-hmm. Yes. I So I actually really applaud Harvard for a lot of what they did. I think, first of all, offering a deferment to anyone who wanted it really took a lot of the anxiety out of the process of like, okay, is my excuse going to be good enough? What excuse do I have to come up with? And just sort of put the decision squarely in the hands of, of the applicant, which I think is really, it really treats the applicant, I think, with respect and saying, okay, you guys are adults. You tell us what you want to do. And I also think that they, I really like the fact, I mean, let's let's be honest, if Harvard wanted to fill a class with 930 people, it would be very easy for them to do so. It's If, if 200 people said, I don't want to go, I don't think that Harvard would have a, a real, oh no, where are we going to find 200 people who want to come to Harvard <laughs> Business School? Like, I, don't, I don't think that's a problem that they have, right? And so I really respect their commitment to the integrity of the experience their commitment to to diversity, right? Because yeah, you could easily you could you could fill up those two hundred spots with just the McKinsey analysts alone who were rejected, you know, in the first couple of rounds. I'm guessing, uh, but then you wouldn't necessarily have that diversity of experiences, which makes the case discussion environment so powerful. So, you know, I realize that it's a financial hit, but I am I'm kind of I'm kind of proud of them. Yeah, I mean, clearly they maintain their admission standards and the quality of the class, which is why they're going to enroll only 720 because, as you point out, surely uh, there are plenty more who are really, uh, let's face it, fully qualified to attend and and likely to be very successful in their lives. I don't know. I mean, as, as a former admissions director at NCAD, Caroline, what percentage of the applicant pool would you say in any given year at NCOD would be fully qualified to attend and would do well in the program? Is it more, it's got to be more than 50%. Oh yeah, it's very high percentage, uh, particularly at INSEAD where, you know, I think I've mentioned before that there's a very large percentage of the class that only apply to INSEAD. So it's got quite a unique applicant pool and people are somewhat self-selecting and that's due to various factors, including things like the language policy, right? So that means that there's a certain profile that's more likely to apply to INSEAD and they may not also be applying to, you know, a laundry list of other top schools. 
But yeah, I mean, I'm sure HBS could have filled the class many times over if they wanted to, right? I mean, you know, and as education changes and, you know, we're thinking about different models in the future, they could potentially open to a much broader audience if there are more virtual options. But for the time being, you know, with the existing model, I think it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting signal to the market as well that they are maintaining their brand, that they're not making any compromises on quality or diversity just to fill the class. And I think that, you know, as Maria said, the, the alumni base and the stakeholders and the market will respect that decision. It's also a bit of a luxury to be able to <laughs> forego so many millions in revenue when they could have chosen to to take more people off the wait list. And, you know, I also think that for people on the wait list now who are not getting a place, they may feel a little bit disgruntled. You know, why were they put on the wait list if, you know, even when their school is so many students short, they have no intention of making an offer? I think, you know, the wait list is there for a reason. And if they're not clearing many people from the wait list, then there's the question mark about why place people on the wait list in the first place. And that's really true because the announcement states that basically 700 people took Harvard up on its offer of a deferment. Sorry, 700 said they would come. Yeah. And if you look at a previous uh, admit rates and the number of people who are admitted to Harvard every year, it's a little over 1,000. So that means if that fact still stood still here, 30% of the people who were admitted decided not to come. Then they only took 20 people off what had been an enlarged wait list to begin with. Yeah. I don't know how large it could be. You got to assume it's probably a hundred or more people that were on the wait list. So why didn't they take the additional 80? Maria has an explanation for that. Yeah, I do. I, do. I mean, I don't, I don't fault them for having a, a large wait list because I don't think they knew what was going to happen. And so it's a very different thing if, you know, if 990 people out of the thousand take you up on your offer versus if 200 people take you up on your offer, you know, you're looking at really dramatically different dynamics. And so I think, I think what they did is they said, okay, of the people that we, you know, of the people that have said, yes, we're coming how many sections can we make? And let's look at the diversity within those sections, right? How many tech people? How many pharmaceutical people? How many oil and gas people? And so basically saying like, look, we we could have filled an extra section, but in order for the numbers to work, we only need 20 more people. But they could have had, you know, if the numbers would have been, if, if 50 more people would have said no, they might have let in 70 people off the wait list instead of 20. I think it was, it wasn't a matter of, I, I think it was just like, they first had to know how many people were going to, were in, in order to then calculate section size and the cohort size. So I don't really blame them because of the level of uncertainty. And I, I, we can't also, I mean, come on, how many other schools are also rocking enormous wait lists right now for the same reason, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. And I, you know, I didn't think about the uh, crafting of the class. In other words, if for any reason, the people who remained on the wait list and ultimately got rejected were of a certain category, too many from a country, too many from a given industry mm-hmm. or a discipline that could have unbalanced the class in ways that Harvard didn't want to. So maybe that's why they only took 20 off whatever their wait list was, which we don't know the size of their wait list. Yeah, that's my theory. I did the back of the envelope calculation on how much it would cost Harvard. And I think we'll all agree that there are very few business schools, never mind actually any schools in the world that could afford to even do this. 
when you look at the lost tuition revenue and the lost room and utility revenue from this, because it's, you know, Harvard Business School is a residential business school with dorms, you're looking at something in excess of $19 million. That's a big hit to any school. It's even a big hit to Harvard, which has already said that it expects to be in the red uh, for this year due to the pandemic. So it's pretty big consequential decision. I'm going to turn this around a little bit and, and ask from the admissions point of view, did Harvard really have to take this hit? And here's why I asked this. You know, two years ago, they eliminated their third round. They're one of the very few schools in the world that do not have a third or a fourth round. And the last two years, applications have fallen in double digits at Harvard Business School. They're also one of the few schools that did not announce an extension of a round based on the pandemic and the difficulty that people were having taking either the GMAT or the GRE, and they made no accommodations in terms of waiving tests or looking at other tests or looking a little more uh, aggressively at one's academic uh, record in lieu of uh, a standardized test. If Uh, Harvard had done with just about any other business school in the world has done, which is have a round three, extend its application deadline to account for for people who are suddenly unemployed or who see their opportunities in front of them diminish, so they would like to go now, uh, and then just being more accommodating, actually, on another level, as opposed to just offering deferments to admitted students, accommodate people who would have difficulty taking a test and maybe waive it in some cases. Now, would those admission practices have prevented Harvard from a $19 million plus loss without any diminishment in the quality of the class? What do you say? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's possible that they have lost out here. You know, as you said, a lot of schools have extended deadlines, have probably admitted a lot more students in these final rounds than they would ever have done otherwise. And I would have thought if Harvard had, um, you know, in another situation, they wouldn't have eliminated this round three. So, so uh, you know, no one had foreseen these circumstances, but the lack of a round three is, was not ideal this year, um, given what has happened. But I think Harvard is extremely careful and perhaps more careful than any other school to about, about the brand signaling and you know, would be more concerned about looking desperate to the market and would just rather maintain the brand image and the, um, uh, and, you know, the value that goes with that versus being more flexible and risking negative perception in the market that some other schools have perhaps garnered over the past few weeks. Look, I do I do think that this has positive impacts for the brand and reputation of the school because clearly they're taking a hit and the hit is in the service of ensuring that the class that does come is of the highest quality and is diverse enough to meet their standards of crafting, you know, a, a good demographic to have in a classroom for a robust case study discussion. No doubt about that. I'm just looking, turning this on its head and saying, okay, what about the business side of this? Because despite what a lot of people think about academic institutions, they are businesses. Yes. <laughs> business schools are definitely a business, but I think fortunately the business of Harvard Business School can withstand this hit. You know, one little fun fact is I think the average amount of alumni 
donations or, or gifts that the school gets is $190 million a year. So when you think about that $19 million hit, that's 10% of what they normally get from donations. So good point, you know, and I can assure I, I can guarantee you. In fact, it's funny, my, my husband and I have, have committed to give a certain amount of money over the next couple of years. And we, we got this very polite little email like, hey, just checking in to see if you're still planning on, on <laughs> reminding you. <laughs> and so I, I could I'm sure that the uh, the pleas for for alumni donations will probably go up. But you know, it's it's I'm not saying 19 million. Ho ho, who cares? But it's I mean, for, for the school, it's not for a school that makes most of its money in the first place from publishing and executive education anyway. And some of these other revenue streams, I mean, they're hurting from those revenue streams as well. But it's not like if, if, the, if the normal revenue were 24 million and they were losing 19 million, I think it would be a much different discussion. But I think the normal revenues is like 800 million or something or eight. Yeah, it's also true that uh, Harvard has an endowment that is the envy of of most universities in the world, never mind business schools. I mean, their endowment before this pandemic was in excess of $3 billion. So they, they do have a lot of financial flexibility that many schools do not have. And they do want to maintain that, you know, the, that reputation uh, that they have, which is stellar, obviously. The other big question, obviously, here is, what are we going to see from other business schools? If, if Harvard is admitting an MBA class that's 23% smaller than the size of a typical class, what's going to happen at places like Chicago, Kellogg, Columbia, NYU Stern, NCAD, London Business School, and others? Are we going to see similar drop-offs in enrollment, Caroline? I think we will see some drops. It might not be such a big percentage as you see at HBS because of that round three and those extended deadlines that you were talking about. So, you know, that may have enabled some of the other schools to shore their numbers up a bit in a way that Harvard hasn't been able to do. But I think there's going to be some variability and probably, you know, as you go down the pecking order, there's going to be, there'll be more of a drop off because you know, the M7 schools will be admitting people from the wait list who would otherwise have gone to schools further down the list. And those schools further down the list are going to really feel the pain. Yeah, that's that's one unusual aspect of admissions. You know, there is this cascading effect. Harvard, Stanford and Wharton have a very big impact on the schools below them when, when they reject people or when they don't take them off a wait list. They obviously accept other offers. I mean, there are some people who say Harvard and Stanford or bust, but those are precious few people in the in the in the big MBA applicant pool. In some ways, I think Harvard by by doing this also did a pretty big favor to some of the other schools, you know, in the M seven because if they would have filled the class with nine thirty, they if they would have taken an extra two hundred people, presumably a lot of them off of a wait list of some sort, then those two hundred people might have come from the admit lists from other schools. So now yeah. these other schools would have now had to be scrambling to find those two hundred people, and the whole cascade would have been, you know, it just would have kept snowball. Not not to mix my metaphors here, but the cascade, <laughs> the cascade would have been snowballing. What? Um, but you know what I'm saying. That's so really like, a good point. It was, it was sort of a, it's almost a favor yeah. that they're doing, and they're signaling to the other schools like, okay, you guys are now wading through your enormous round threes, but you don't need to worry about needing 200 spaces to fill. It'll be a lot less probably. Oh, uh, that's a really good point. I, I that hadn't occurred to me. Of course, it's absolutely true. Yeah, totally. 
<laughs> so if you were if you were uh, still at NCOD, maybe you'd be very happy about Harvard's decision, right, Caroline? Well, I, I'm sure that some admissions directors are breathing a sigh of relief having seen this news. Uh, but you know, they're they're not suddenly going to hemorrhage a large chunk of admins to 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 HBS. But there's still a lot of uncertainty. I think, you know, even for candidates who have been admitted, who've paid deposits, there is still more uncertainty than usual about whether those people actually join the program at the end of the day. Some pe- people may still be pushing for, for deferral. Some people may be thinking, you know, I'll even forego my deposit, right? I'd rather not quit my job right now. I'd rather not sign up for such an, such an uncertain experience. And of course, you know, the news coming out of the States, it just continues to get worse, right? So that will also create further uncertainty and concern for international applicants thinking about coming to the US, given, you know, all of the the various issues, pandemic, um, you know, social unrest, et cetera, et cetera, as, as well as visa concerns and whether that's going to be become more of an issue in the future for people graduating out of business school. So that's that's really true. You know, I mean, people reading the headlines around the world, looking at photographs and video of riots yeah. uh, and looting and widespread civil unrest, in addition to news reports that Trump is about to basically take an axe to the uh, OPT program, yeah. optional practical training that people who are in a STEM MBA program or a STEM track in an MBA program could get two additional years to work in the United States uh, in addition to the one that they would automatically get, which really changes the dynamic for them. If Trump's about to also cut that and you're looking at these headlines, you might be thinking, you know, might be better for me to wait a year or so and see what happens. Yeah. 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 So I think schools, you know, schools can make proclamations like HBS has done now about how many students they expect to join, but I'm not sure that they can be so certain until the program starts and they actually see how many people have turned up physically or virtually. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out, but I'm I'm sure there's there's going to be overall you know a drop in the in the cohorts across a lot of a lot of the schools. You know, in fact, in the Harvard announcement about this, they also noted that they were unsure how many first-year MBAs are going to come back for their second year because of the student visa problem, where people just can't get out of countries that they're in, or travel restrictions, or if, in fact, they had a family member or themselves who was infected with coronavirus and would, would prefer to wait it out and come back uh, the following year. So all this also leads to what we spoke about last week, which is... Whether or not this coming admission season will be the biggest ever may be beside the point because at Harvard, it certainly will be the biggest ever because now you have at least 300 people who deferred and will either be pushed into next year or the year after. And it only takes something like a 12.5% increase in applications at Harvard Business School for the school to hit a record in MBA applications, which it did back in 2002, I believe. Yeah, hopefully so, they'll be opening up more sections. Yes, and that's 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 a good point too, because Chad said that they probably, they would at least consider opening up a section uh, or two and therefore enrolling what would then be a record uh, class. Yeah. Uh, you know, going from 720 to probably... 
what almost a thousand and approaching NCODs yeah. intake annual mm. intake yeah yeah so that's really yeah. fascinating that's their plan for making out that 19 million shortfall <laughs> <laughs> they just need maria's donation to tide them over in the meantime i'll get my checkbook right now <laughs> they're just deferring the revenue they're not foregoing <laughs> exactly yeah, I don't know how you account for that on an income statement, but because I'm not an accounting person, but um, is this a there cold call? Some way. Are you cold call? <laughs> maybe it's a maybe it's a, a case interview question oh, from BCG sure. or Bain. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you make? I mean, for the international applicants and students out there who are reading these headlines about America, what do we have to tell them? Maria? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not exactly in a in a super happy mood, right? Like it's it's hard for me to to tell them to sort of have faith and um, you know, everything's gonna work out because I don't know that things are gonna work out, you know, overall in the country and then in business education and business internships and that whole MBA ecosystem general, you know, more specifically. I think of all the things that are happening right now, I do think that the threat to the OPT program is a very significant issue in terms of, you know, it's easier to justify taking out the loans and the debt to come and get the degree here if you think you will be able to earn in dollars for at least a few years afterwards. But if that happens, if if the OPT gets cut, then, you know, all of a sudden that calculation just gets blown out of the water if you come from a country where you get paid in rupees or you know some other currency so and also what what a loss for our country really like the world's best and brightest are getting educated here and then they're going back to their countries and the countries those countries are seeing the benefit but anyway i will step down from the little soapbox right now but it's it's hard it's hard <laughs> to be it's hard to be like yay rah 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 you should you know so of, of all the new of all the bad news which is a lot there's a lot of it i think for me the opt possible removal of that is is the worst news. Yeah, I would agree for international students, particularly after all the effort business schools have undergone to get the STEM designation, either on their entire program or on tracks. There was a lot of running around to do that, a lot of lobbying by students. And all of a sudden, there's a cloud over it and there's a threat because we have a president in the White House who obviously has an anti-immigration policy in effect. I will say this, it is incredibly sad and disappointing to see what's going on in this country. The civil unrest is obviously the result of a murder on the streets in Minneapolis by a police officer of a black man. And if anything, what it does expose to my mind is that we have uh, significant racism problems in this country that are still unresolved. Many people thought that the election of Barack Obama, who was a true statesman and gentleman, and we wish we still had him in the White House, <laughs> signaled, signaled that at last people who are African-American in this nation and, and other minorities had every opportunity to basically win and be elected to the most prestigious, most powerful position in the world. It did indicate that we have a substantial portion of our population that's, that is racist, that is biased, that's prejudiced. We have severe economic inequality issues. 
And all these things, while disappointing, frustrating, and upsetting, also should make one want to get higher education to help change this. Because the people who go to business schools today, many of them are people who want uh, to make the world a better place. And, and on some level, business schools give them the tools and the skills to be more effective change agents. So to my mind, if anything, this is almost an ideal time to go with the resolve that we can all make the world better. We have a responsibility to do so if we're privileged to be able to get into a Harvard, a Stanford, an NCOT, a Columbia, a Kellogg, a Chicago booth. And that should be part of our mandate. Sure, we want to have successful careers. We want to have uh, lifestyles that afford our families uh, a good life. Um, but we need to have purpose in that life. And we need to make this world a better place because as Lord knows, it needs to be improved. Well, now that's my soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say amen to that. Yes. Uh, meantime, my latest pandemic binge watching has brought me to a show that's very much in the realm of business. There are a few MBAs here and there on it. In fact, one of the characters was accepted to Chicago Booth and chose not to go. The show is called Billions. Have either of you watched it? I've not. No. no it's a terrific show. Yeah. It's it's really about a a multi-billionaire hedge fund manager and the shop that he runs in seeking basically inside information to do trades. Paul Giamatti, who's a terrific actor, is in it. He plays an, an attorney general who is in a sort of forever pursuit of this uh, hedge fund manager. And the characters and the dialogue are just terrific. It's fast-paced. And just like in The Sopranos, there's a psychologist in the middle of it who basically <laughs> makes sure that all the traders and analysts in this hedge fund shop perform to their absolute peak. And it's a great show. It's fun. And in the last week alone, I have been watched the first four entire seasons. <laughs> wow. 12, oh, great. <laughs> 12 episodes each. <laughs> That's quite an achievement. <laughs> so there you go. I recommend it to everyone. It's it's better than some of the other shows that I've watched that we've mentioned in the past. Okay, that I, good. That, I, that make me blush when I admit to watching <laughs> Would it count as career research for aspiring MBAs looking to get <laughs> Totally. Absolutely. Oh, it absolutely. may make It may make more people want to work for a hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> There's already a Given lot the of amount money of money too. involved. <laughs> It almost makes me want to work for a head. Go for it, John. It's not too late. late. Yeah, career pivot. Uh, Caroline and I will help you with your, your MBA in essay. Oh, thank you. All right, Maria and Caroline, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for your insights and perspective. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening. This is John Byrne with Poets of Quants and Business Casual. Oh, 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 oh,